invite you to open up the word with me this morning to Exodus chapter 20. Praise the Father. Praise the Son. Praise the Spirit. Three in one. God of glory, majesty, praise forever to the King of kings. Church, this is why we gather. This is why we sing. This is why we come together to lift our voice in song. Even if we have to wear masks, it's worth it. It's worth it to be with God's people and to sing His praises. It's worth it to to bow before Him together alongside brothers and sisters in Christ because we know the love of God that has set us apart as His people and set us free from our sin. Friends, do you know the love of God? Do you know the love of this God? Scriptures say, for God so loved the world. You know this text. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. That's the rescuing love of God rescuing, saving love of God for His people. Do you know the love of God? And secondly, I want to ask you as we begin this morning, do you love God? Do you love this God? God who sent His Son to redeem you, to redeem, to save us from our sins and to give us eternal life with Him. Do you love God? The Bible says we love. John says we love because He first loved us. See, our love for the Lord is a response to His love for us. We see this, I think, over and over and over again in the Bible. We see a pattern emerge. God's love for His people, leads Him to rescue them. And then He instructs His people, His rescued people, in how to live for Him. We see this, I think, again and again, in places like Paul's epistles, where Paul writes to the church. He writes to believers, and he says, God has done this. He recounts salvation and God's plan to save and who God is. And then he says things like, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion and kindness. Live this way as a result of what God has done for you, The God who rescues us calls us to live for His glory. That's what I want us to see from God's Word this morning, from Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 6. The God who rescues us, and He is a God who rescues, a God who rescues us calls us to live for Him. Like Jesus said to His disciples in John 14, He said, If you love Me, keep My commands. If you love me, keep my commands. In other words, if you love me, devote yourself to live for me, to to honor me, follow after me. And so today, church, we begin to look at the Ten Commandments. And as we do, I want us to see that obedience to these commands is not about earning a right to God's love. Don't miss this. It's it's not about doing the right things in order to earn salvation, but it's about doing the will of God because we want to honor the God who has already saved us, the one who has already rescued us. We see that order abundantly clear in the story of Exodus itself. Let me say that again another way. The commands of God 
matter to the people of God because the people of God have received the mercy of God and want to magnify the glory of God. The the commands of God, the instructions of God matter to the people of God because the people of God have received the mercy of God and want to magnify the glory of God. Exodus 20, verse 1, And God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. God says to his rescued people, he says, I am the Lord who saved you from slavery. He says, I am the one who delivered you and who will now lead you and be your God. So live this way. That's what God is saying. So so here's what's happening in the book of Exodus that we've been studying together. God is setting his his rescued people apart, his his delivered people, the people he has come to to, uh, deliver from bondage and slavery in Egypt. He is setting them apart to be distinct from the nations and the peoples around them so that the nations and the people around them might come to know his saving grace through them. That's what's going on in Exodus. But church, in order for that to happen, in order for the people of God to reflect the character of God to the world around them, they need to know their God. They need to know Him. They need to know who He is and what He's about. They need to know His character. They need to know the heart of God and what it looks like to live for Him. And that's what we mean when we say living for His glory. Living in such a way that brings honor and praise to him. The God who rescues us calls us to live for his glory. So what does it mean to live for his glory? What does it mean to, to live for God's glory? Well, in the Ten Commandments, we see the character of God. In other words, various attributes of God are revealed in each of these commands, in each of these laws. First, we see that we live for his glory when we worship Him alone. We glorify God when we worship Him alone. That's the first command. When we worship God alone, we are glorifying Him. God says in verse 2, I am the Lord, I am Yahweh your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He says, I am the one and the only one who saved you. So you shall have no other God's before me. We saw the same approach, I think, at work in the previous chapter in Exodus 19. Moses, God says, go go remind the people, go tell the people what I did for them and and tell them to obey me fully. Go remind them that that I've come to the rescue. Go remind them that I I delivered them from the Egyptians. Go, Go remind them that I've set them apart and I'm going to be their God. Tell them then to obey me fully. God is speaking here. In the Ten Commandments, from atop Mount Sinai to a mass multitude of Israelites who have spent the last several generations in a land of many, many gods. In fact, we saw this some months ago as we looked at the various plagues that God brought through the hand of Moses upon Egypt, that each of these plagues were uh, an attack, so to speak, on each of Egypt's gods, various gods in the land of Egypt. Yahweh was saying uh, that these gods are no match for me. 
They're, they're nothing like me. Many of the Israelites have even joined with the Egyptians in worshiping those various gods. And Yahweh says to them now, no more. I'm not going to do that anymore. You shall have no other gods before me. See, we glorify God when we worship Him alone, for He alone is God. And to worship Him alone is to love Him supremely before everything else. State the command positively. It is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. In fact, Jesus later said uh, that this is the greatest commandment, right? He said to love the Lord with all that we are. And Jesus then went on and he said the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus said that these two commands, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. He said these two commandments summarize all of them. And indeed, the Ten Commandments can be divided and summarized along those lines. Loving God and loving others. Love God, commandments 1, 2, 3, and 4, and loving others, commandments 5 through 10. We love and glorify God when we worship Him alone. So, friend, is the Lord God who sent His Son to rescue you from slavery to sin. The Lord God who sent His Son to deliver you from bondage to sin and set you free to know and to enjoy Him forever and ever and ever? Is He the ultimate object of your love? Do you love Him? Do you love God? Do you love Him more than earthly comforts? Do you love Him more than material possessions? Do you love Him more than personal passions or pleasures, more than financial security, more than any other object or person of your praise? Because He has rescued you. Glorify God when we worship Him alone. And second, we see here that we glorify God when we worship Him the right way. Glorify God when we worship Him alone. We express our love or devotion to Him. We exalt His name when we worship Him alone. And we glorify Him when we worship Him the right way. This is the second command, verse 4. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. See, the Israelites are coming from a land of idols. And they're going to a land of idols. Idols. They're surrounded by people who worship crafted images and created objects rather than the living creator. I think Alan Ross is helpful here. He says, God is living and active and not confined to any place or form or time. He is the eternal God of heaven, the Lord of time and space. To make and worship an image denies these basic attributes of God. And yet, what do these people do? What do the the Israelites do? In a matter of weeks, from this very command given by God audibly in front of the people who are gathered around the base of Mount Sinai, spoiler alert, in short time, these very same people break this command in the most profane way. These same people who say in chapter 19, verse 8, we will do everything the Lord has said. And these people who hear God speaking these commands from the mountains soon 
grow weary of waiting for Moses to return from meeting with God. And so they fashion an image, an idol, in the form of a golden calf. And then they say in Exodus 32, verse 4, they say to one another, here's your gods, Israel. This is your God who brought you out of Egypt. This is him. This is Yahweh, essentially what they're saying. Here he is, an image that we can behold. The psalmist later writes, he says, At Horeb, another name from Mount Sinai, they, they made a calf and worshipped an idol cast from metal. They exchanged the, the glorious God for an image of a bull which eats grass. It says, They forgot the God who saved them, who had done great things in Egypt. Church, in the midst of a most unusual and difficult year, do not forget the God who has saved you. Do not forget the King who is sovereign, who sits on His throne today, and who is worthy of our praise, one who loves you with an unfailing love. Do not forget His mercy and His grace. Do not forget the peace and the joy that He brings to those whose hearts and minds are set upon Him. And praise God that this one is loving and gracious, that He is patient with us, that He is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love for His people. Praise God that He does not treat us as our sins deserve. That our salvation is not dependent upon our obedience to the law, for if it was, every one of us, church, would be condemned to hell. We would be doomed to face God's judgment because none of us have obeyed this law. Not completely. Jesus makes that quite clear. Israel did not and neither have we. The law doesn't redeem us. It doesn't save us. It reveals the depth of our sin and our need for a Savior. Of course, the instruction, the commands, the law of God given to the people of God exposes our inability to live up to the perfect standard of God. It reveals that we need a Savior to do for us what we could never do on our own. It reveals our sin and need of a Savior, and it regulates the relationship that God gives to us by His grace. In other words, it shows us how to live for His glory. The God who rescues us calls us as His people to live for His glory. And as we do, we will leave a legacy of faith for the generations that follow. You know, one of the things that I think many of us parents have felt during the coronavirus quarantine is the 24-7 burden of leading our children. That sounds perhaps like a depressing way of saying that, but the responsibility, the weight of responsibility that parents feel all the time, every day, this year for leading our children. When schools closed early, parents felt greater responsibility for educating our kids. Certainly our educators, our teachers were still involved in that in a great way, in a helpful way, but still, parents felt that responsibility. When church gatherings and activities began to close or be postponed, hopefully we parents felt a greater responsibility for discipling our children, for ensuring that they hear the gospel, for teaching them to know and to follow Jesus as Lord and Savior. Now we should have felt that responsibility and taken ownership of those things before But the pandemic left us no choice. It suddenly became apparent, did it not, parents, that if our kids were going to finish the school year well, and if our kids were going to continue hearing the gospel clearly, that we would have to take a front seat active role in their learning. 
And of course, this is the way it ought to be. The Lord holds parents responsible for teaching and training their children. So parents, if you love the Lord, your greatest parenting goal will be to lead your children to know Jesus. Your greatest parenting goal is to point them in the direction of hearing the gospel and knowing Jesus Christ. And God says some difficult words here. This is why I bring this up in verse 5. He says some hard things. Children often suffer for the sins of their fathers. Parents, I think we ought to be challenged by this. This is a warning. This is a call to hear the commands of God and to respond with devotion to Him. Call to lead our families in a way that puts the Lord first. So hear the warning, but remember as you do that God never punishes the innocent unjustly. Never punishes the innocent unjustly. The picture here is of parents and their offspring and their children rejecting God. Not just the parents. And secondly, note here that God's faithful covenant love for His people is hesed. It's unfailing love. It's ongoing, never-ending love for His people. God's faithful covenant love for His people far outlasts the generational cycle of sin and judgment. Lasts for a thousand generations, forever and ever and ever. I think we see a picture of this in the Exodus itself where God makes a covenant promise. He enters into a relationship with Abraham. And generations later, centuries later, God remembers the promise that He has made to Abraham and Abraham's faith in the Lord and He comes to rescue His people. We see this pattern in the Scripture. And so I bring it up to pose the question, what kind of legacy of worship are you leaving for your children? What kind of legacy of worship are you leaving for your children? What would they say? Who or what would they say you worship? They say that it's obvious that you you worship the Lord God of the Bible, that you worship Jesus who saves, that you worship Him, and that you worship Him alone, that you worship Him according to His Word. Are you worshiping God alone? And are you worshiping God in the right way? And so I return to the question in conclusion this morning with which I began, and that is this. Do you know the love of God? Do you know the love of God? God's character, who He is, calls us, it invites us to love Him. You know, the character of the God who saves, the God who rescues us, calls us to live for His glory. Is your life about Him? Is your life about Him? Him. It is about the glory of His name, about making Him known. Are you living for His glory? In other words, do you love God? Do you love God? Do you love the Lord your God who brought you out of the Egypt of your sins and is leading you toward the promised land of glory? Do you love this God Commandments, covenant stipulations are a call for God's people 
to love Him. If you don't know His love, if you have not responded to His love, if you have not expressed your love to Him, let me call you to do so this morning. Let me invite you to do so this morning. Let me urge you to do so this morning, to experience the rescuing love of God for His people that is not dependent on anything that we have done or could do, but is simply because of His mercy in accordance with His character to receive His love by turning to the Savior, turning to the One who has come to us to save us, repenting and trusting in Him, expressing your faith in Him, saying, Lord, I've not done even these first two commandments that we've covered this morning. Lord, I have not obeyed these fully, completely. I was, to be honest with you, God, today, in my heart, I have not worshipped you alone. I have not loved you supremely. Forgive me. And thank you for sending your Son to be my Savior, to obey the law perfectly and to give his life as a substitute on the cross for my sins so that I could be forgiven and know you now and forever. Lord, forgive me. I want to follow your Son, Jesus as my Savior. I love you because you have loved me first. Lord, help me to do that. Respond to Him in that way for the glory of His name. Just a moment as we stand together and express our faith, commitment through song, as we ask the Lord to lead us and to take our lives and to use them for His glory. Use that time, church, to respond to Jesus. Respond to the rescuing love of God. To confess your sin where you have not done so and to express your love and faith in Him. Father, lead us to do so now. Presence and power and guidance of your Spirit, Lord, we want to honor you. Lead us to do so now. Guide us to exalt your name. Express faith in you and to live for your glory. Lord, thank you for loving us first. May we respond to your love in a way that declares that you are are who you say you are and that you are worthy of our praise. Hear our praise now. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.